You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hi, I'm Holly Pivik. Welcome to this episode. I'm a researcher of cults and new religious movements. For the past 20 years, I've been researching and writing books about the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR, a popular and fast-growing movement of Christians who emphasize signs and wonders and teach that God is giving new revelation through new end-time apostles and prophets. The most well-known NAR church currently is Bethel Church in Redding, California, home to Bethel Music. To be clear, and to reiterate what I've said before, Bethel and other NAR churches do not merely teach that the miraculous gifts, such as speaking in tongues, prophesying, and gifts of healing, are operative in the church today, as they were in the first century church. That belief is held by Pentecostals, Charismatics, and other continuationists, and is not what I'm critiquing. NAR leaders go much further than that. They claim that the authoritative offices of apostle and prophet are operative today, and that present-day apostles and prophets must govern the church, and that all others, including pastors, must submit to them and receive their new revelations. The revelations allegedly will equip the church to bring God's kingdom to earth, and they teach that every Christian can, and indeed must, acquire miracle-working powers by being activated in the miraculous gifts. Teachings like these have even many Pentecostals and Charismatics concerned about NAR, as they've caused a lot of destruction in lives and churches. In addition to these aberrant beliefs, NAR also has a skewed eschatology, including many bizarre and unbiblical teachings about the end time. NAR is very end time focused, since the goal of NAR is to bring God's kingdom to earth. And many NAR leaders believe the dominant views of the end time, the views held by the majority of Christians today, need to be overturned because they are holding back the church from seeking to establish God's kingdom. They think many Christians' beliefs in a future Antichrist, Great Tribulation, and Rapture are too negative and are distractions. They frequently ridicule those beliefs, and they're calling for a major paradigm shift where the church adopts a new NAR understanding of the end time, one that doesn't include an antichrist or tribulation, or if it does include them, it minimizes the magnitude of those threats to the church. Some NAR prophets even claim that God has spoken to them directly about this new, more optimistic NAR doctrine. In other words, their NAR view of the end time is presented as new revelation for the church. So what exactly is this NAR view of the end time? held by many NAR leaders? That's the question I will answer in this episode. NAR leaders have named their view of the end time victorious eschatology. According to this view, the church need not worry itself about an antichrist or tribulation. That is because Christ will return for a victorious, overcoming church, one that is united, powerful, and glorious. Under the leadership of apostles and prophets in the last days, the church will experience great victory by performing signs and wonders that will cause a worldwide revival. Entire nations will convert to Christ. 
Some NAR leaders even hold that Christians will take vengeance on the Antichrist and their persecutors by making prayer declarations that will loose the judgments of God described in the book of Revelation, plagues that include hell, falling stars, and an army riding fire-breathing horses. So rather than undergoing tribulation in the last days, Christians will actually cause the tribulation. The future time period referred to by many Christians as the Great Tribulation. NAR leader Mike Bickle of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, told believers, Beloved, we're not waiting. Oh, rapture me out of here. A lot of people are waiting to be taken up. They want to go up so they can escape the tribulation. But Bickle says, the Lord is waiting for us to grow up, to loose the tribulation through the prayers of faith. Let me pause here to ask you, the listener, what do you believe the Bible teaches about the end time? Do you believe that evil will continue in this world and that the church will be raptured or rescued by Christ, whether prior to the time of great tribulation or prior to God's wrath being released on earth? Or instead, do you believe the church will remain on earth and succeed in taking dominion of society, defeating God's enemies, and establishing much, if not all, of God's kingdom prior to Christ's return? Since NAR leaders seek to bring God's kingdom now, you might assume, and for good reason, that they all hold the view of the end time known as post-millennialism, the view that the church will succeed in establishing the kingdom on earth prior to Christ's return. And many NAR leaders do hold that view. But not all NAR leaders claim to be post-millennialists. Some, like Mike Bickle, actually claim to be pre-millennialists, who understand God's kingdom to be a literal, physical kingdom on earth ruled by Christ, but a kingdom which will not be established fully until after Christ's second coming. And others, like Randy Clark, claim to be all-millennialists. All millennialists believe that Christ has been reigning in heaven spiritually through the entire church age, but unlike premillennialists, do not look for the establishment of a literal physical kingdom on the present earth. They look instead to the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. While NAR leaders fall into each of those three broad camps, postmillennialism, premillennialism, and amillennialism, they've radically altered those three views by trying to blend them with their NAR teachings about the end time. In other words, there's a NAR version of postmillennialism, a NAR version of premillennialism, and even a NAR version of amillennialism. For instance, Mike Bickle refers to his novel version of premillennialism as historic premillennialism and a victorious church, and also as apostolic premillennialism. And Randy Clark speaks of his amillennialism as victorious amillennialism. NAR leaders who hold these various views disagree about whether there will be a future Antichrist or about exactly how much of God's physical kingdom can be established on earth prior to Christ's return, but they agree that the church should seek to establish God's kingdom, and they teach that authoritative apostles and prophets are presently equipping the church with supernatural strategies and miraculous powers that are needed to establish it. So in all the NAR hybrid views of the end time, the common thread is NAR's victorious eschatology. But first, to understand why their view is so novel, I must back up a bit and briefly explain the three major end time positions so you can see clearly how NAR's victorious eschatology differs. 
As I've already suggested, there are three broad views about the end time, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. Biblically sound, faithful Christians can be found in all three camps. I'll start with postmillennialism, which today is the minority view among Christians. However, it was an influential view of the end time in 19th century America, as it was held by revivalists and theologians including Jonathan Edwards, Charles Hodge, and B.B. Warfield. According to classical postmillennialists, through the preaching of the gospel, Christianity would spread throughout the earth, bringing in righteousness, peace, prosperity, in short, the establishment of God's kingdom prior to Christ's return. Postmillennialism's prominence, however, faded away after the Civil War and World War I dashed hopes that God's kingdom was advancing. A minority today still hold to this view, but it is very important to understand how classical postmillennialism, which seeks to establish God's kingdom through the proclamation of the biblical gospel of forgiveness of sins, differs from NAR postmillennialism, which seeks to establish God's kingdom through the proclamation of the NAR gospel of the kingdom, which emphasizes miraculous signs and wonders and strategies revealed by modern apostles and prophets. However, today the majority of Christians are either premillennialists or amillennialists. Clearly, important differences exist between the views, especially regarding the nature of God's kingdom, whether it's physical or spiritual. But of most relevance for this discussion now is on what these two camps agree. Both premillennialists and amillennialists agree that the world will not get better and better prior to Christ's return, but that evil will continue and even increase. Based on their reading of scripture, they both expect that before Christ returns, the church at large will experience a great apostasy where many professing believers will fall away from the faith and follow false prophets. They believe end-time events will culminate in a time of terrible tribulation and the emergence of an evil world leader known as the Antichrist. Neither premillennialists nor amillennialists expect the church to establish God's kingdom on earth prior to Christ's return. But NAR leaders call these dominant Christian views of the end-time pessimistic and fear-motivated, and they call the premillennialist hope in the rapture of the church escapist. With such a defeatist mentality, they say, of course the church can't establish God's kingdom. And of course it can't expect to see the fulfillment of the billion soul harvest that has been prophesied by NAR leaders. That is a great end time revival when more than a billion people will allegedly convert to belief in Christ as a result of the miraculous signs and wonders performed by the church under the leadership of the NAR apostles and prophets. The need for a new, more optimistic end time outlook is spoken of by the NAR Apostle Cal Pierce, founder of the Helium Rooms Ministries, in the foreword he wrote for the book written by the NAR leaders Harold Eberle and Martin Trench. In their book, titled Victorious Eschatology, A Partial Preterist View, Pierce writes, We need a shift that will move the church from a rapture mentality to a harvest theology. We must take off the grave clothes and put on the wedding gown as the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And the groom is coming for his bride, but he is coming for a bride in victory that is bringing the kingdom of God on the earth by fulfilling the will of the Father. Notice that Pierce uses the metaphor of the church as the victorious bride of Christ. When NAR leaders describe the church in the last days, they often do so by using the image of a glorious overcoming bride. In fact, the warrior bride is a common image in NAR. Do a Google search using the terms warrior bride 
apostles and prophets, and you will find numerous sites referring to the church as a warrior bride, NAR books with warrior bride in their titles, and NAR prophetic artists selling their paintings of brides carrying swords and wearing combat boots. So the image of the church as a warrior bride is a sign that NARA's catology is in view. Pierce also writes, We are not the church in failure, running out the back door while the devil kicks in the front door. We are the church of Luke 10.19 that has authority over all the power of the enemy. Pierce is referencing the words Jesus spoke to his 72 disciples in Luke 10.19 when they returned from their mission of healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He told them, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Besides Pierce, Eberle, and Trench, many other NAR leaders have called for a paradigm shift in Christians' views of the end time. One of those other leaders is Chris Vallotton, the prophet at Bethel Church, who recommends Eberle's and Trench's book in his own book titled Heavy Rain. In his book, Bellaton also misrepresents and mocks belief in the rapture, calling it a kind of beam-me-up Scotty theology. Notice that his criticisms would apply equally to belief in a pre-tribulational rapture or to a pre-wrath rapture, as Bellaton doesn't like any doctrine that would not make room for the church to succeed in establishing God's kingdom. Astonishingly, Bellaton claims that God revealed to him that God is going to give the church an apostolic eschatology which is another name for victorious eschatology. Note that he is claiming to have received revelation pertaining to doctrine, something many NAR leaders deny they have ever claimed. Yet Velaton writes, The Lord went on to tell me that he was going to give us an apostolic eschatology. In some earlier chapters, we explored the mission of a true apostle. I talked about the fact that apostolic ministry is synonymous with cultural transformation. We know that the only prayer Jesus ever taught us to pray includes the phrase that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, the first question we have to ask ourselves is this. Did Jesus teach us to pray a prayer that he never intended us to believe? I think we can agree that the answer to that question is no. If we are to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, and if we are commissioned to make disciples of all the nations— then doesn't it stand the reason that we need a new approach to the end times? Mike Bickle has also taught extensively about the end time church as a victorious overcoming bride. In a document titled Historic Premillennialism and the Victorious Church, which can be found at mikebickle.org, he makes the following critique of historic premillennialism. Its weakness is that some who hold this view do not believe that the church will grow strong in prayer that will result in the great harvest and an end-time victory and power as she functions in her bridal identity. This victorious bride-type language can also be seen in Bethel Church's statement of faith, which states, We believe in the ever-increasing government of God and in the blessed hope, which is the glorious visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign with his overcoming bride, the church. Bethel's statement might not sound off unless you're familiar with Bethel teachings. But note that it starts off by saying, we believe in the ever-increasing government of God. That's a reference to Bethel's goal to establish God's physical kingdom on earth. The statement then goes on to reference Christ's return to rule and reign with his overcoming bride, the church. So what's wrong with that? To be sure, the church is described as the bride of Christ in scripture, 
in places such as Ephesians 5, 2 Corinthians 11, and Revelation 19. Certainly it's a biblical metaphor. In each of those places, the way the bride makes herself ready for the bridegroom, the return of Christ, is through growth and personal holiness, sound doctrine, and righteous deeds. But Bethel Church has something else in view in their statement of faith when it speaks of the church as the overcoming bride. This can be seen in Bill Johnson's books, where he he explains what the overcoming bride, the glorious end-time church, is supposed to look like. And when heaven invades earth, in a section titled The Coming Glorious Church, where he uses the metaphor of the church as a bride, he also provides a list of things that he says scripture teaches about the last day's church. Listen to the following description of the great end-time revival he believes the church will bring about. He writes, The exploits of the present and coming revival will surpass all the accomplishments of the church in all history combined. Over one billion souls will be saved. Stadiums will be filled with people 24 hours a day for days on end with miracles beyond number, healings, conversions, resurrections, and deliverances too many to count. In the same book, Johnson says this about the last days overcoming church bride. I have a promise from God. I am part of a company of people destined to do greater works than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Why is it so hard to see the church with significant influence in the last days? It was God who determined that the bride should be spotless and without wrinkle. It was God who declared, Behold, darkness will cover the earth, but his glory will appear upon you. It was God who calls us, his church, overcomers. It is clear that in Johnson's view, the way the church bride overcomes and experiences victory is by working miracles, even greater miracles than Jesus did, in establishing God's kingdom on earth. But nowhere in scripture do we see that the church will eventually Christianize the world or even come close. That's a very different picture than the one Jesus painted of the days leading up to his return when he taught his disciples on the, Mount, on the Mount of Olives. We read about this in Matthew 24. As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. 
and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Persecution, martyrdom, false prophets. These are the conditions believers will face at the end of the age, according to Jesus. And the book of Revelation presents a similar picture. When the world's opposition to Christ, under the Antichrist, will reach its peak and will only be stopped by Christ himself returning and establishing his earthly reign. Furthermore, in Revelation 12:11, we see that the way last day's believers will overcome Satan is not by working more amazing miracles than Jesus. They overcome by being faithful to Jesus, even to the point of martyrdom. In the New King James Version, this verse reads, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Summing up, faithfulness to Christ, no matter the cost, is the true victory. But many in our leaders chide Christians who believe the Bible teaches that very difficult times will come upon the last day's church. Instead, many of them teach their own novel view of the end time, known as victorious eschatology. While they may claim to be post-millennialist, premillennialist, or amillennialist, They've given each of those standard views a major nar twist with their teachings about apostles, prophets, and an end-time victorious church. So what they're teaching is actually a significant departure from whichever historic position they claim to hold. But nar's victorious eschatology, which does not have the support of scripture, is harmful for the church. It actually hinders believers from experiencing true spiritual victory. The type of victory nar leaders promise their followers is miraculous power to overcome their difficulties, overpower their enemies, and take dominion of the nations. But these false promises of a so-called victorious, overcoming church do not adequately prepare believers to endure any level of suffering or tribulation, let alone the time of terrible tribulation that is described in Revelation and will one day come upon the earth. While many in our leaders acknowledge that believers will face a degree of persecution and rejection, They undermine that message with their promises of an end-time global revival and Christians ruling and reigning. In our teachings that believers will call down the judgments of God on unbelievers through their prayer declarations, portray the church in a vengeful light, and damage the church's witness. If you want to dig deeper on what I've talked about today, be sure to check out my co-authored book, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. It's available at Amazon or can be ordered anywhere else books are sold and is also available as an audiobook on Audible. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again soon. In the meantime, you can follow me at hollypivic.com. That's H O 
L-L-Y-P-I-V-E-C. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 